Here we are. Here for now, episode nine. This week, my guest is Chad Corbin. Chad is the owner and creator of Corvid Cycles. Chad and I sat down in his one-car garage shop to talk about his journey turning his passion for bikes into his career. We discussed Chad's perspective on being a sometimes creative person. Chad also shares about his aspirations for creating positive change and equality within and outside of the bike industry. All that and more, coming up on Here For Now. anything ever happened to you that you just can't explain some sort of mystery event where you're like i don't know what was going on there that's wow that's a hard question i mean i guess the the first thing that comes to mind is and this is business related maybe it's not that interesting an answer but i'm blown away daily about how quickly my business got off the ground and i could probably attribute that to a lot of things um there's probably a lot of luck involved you know timing wise yeah i'm just i'm continually amazed when somebody shoots me an email or gives me a call <laughs> and uh and I'm, ha- I'm still having a hard time explaining <laughs> how that I, how that even happens you know i've not i've not done any kind of like paid advertising i've had a couple of spots on bikepacking.com that have really helped kind of expose the brand but yeah it's just amazing to me uh the power of social media and i I'm still trying to wrap my head around how that actually happened in the first place I'll continue to think about that one too. I've got a ghost story. <laughs> you got a spooky story? <laughs> no, nah, it's not that spooky. Let's um, hear it. Well, we were in like middle school or high school or something like that. I was over at a friend's house and we were watching something on TV. Um, it was late at night and uh, it was it was kind of like a scary stories type of show, you know, and something like that. One of us said to the other, oh man, wouldn't it be scary if like that light over there just turned on all of a sudden? And I kid you not, it did. And both of us just looked at each other and just slack-jawed, had no idea what to say. And then, I mean, we're teenagers, but we still like hid under the covers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not very glamorous. Um, That's the right thing to do in that, in that moment. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced it was his little sister or his mom just kind of like hanging out in the corner, kind of yeah, checking somebody in somebody was this, checking in and listening and maybe. Then, and then hit the light and then kind of ducked into the shadows or something, but... You know, it was still one of those moments where you're like, holy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's an unexplainable thing. There's some logic behind it, maybe, but you'll never know. Yeah. Believe what you want. How you been, how you been feeling post COVID vaccine? You got your, your rounds through the, the, yeah, the 5G. Yeah. You know, um, my wife and I live a pretty pandemic lifestyle to begin with. (laughs) We don't get out a ton. Um, so it hasn't actually changed anything on a day-to-day basis for us because um, we're still, you know, trying to follow all the guidelines and masking up outside. And of course, you know, just showing other people that it's important to continue doing that stuff. But th- there is a little bit of a weight lifted where you kind of feel like, ah, oh, this might be coming to an end sometime soon. Yeah, that that's, I guess it's just a slight shift in perception that, um, that makes you feel like things are, are going to be uh, okay or, or at least better. 
Certainly. Which uh, which vaccine did you end up getting with? Uh, we got the Pfizer. Pfizer. How was how was your second dose? How how was your whole experience? Um, it was uh, fine. Um, we were a little tired a couple of days after the second dose. We didn't have any reaction to the first one at all. Um, we were we had actually kind of planned to um, just do like a Netflix marathon. <laughs> The right day after our seems like a smart our, choice yeah but um it didn't happen so we were kind of disappointed and went back to work doing our own work rather i was very impressed by like the organization of the whole thing um the second the second shot we were in this giant giant open space with um rows of chairs you know distanced and then the staff was just kind of walking up and down the aisles with the computers checking you in and giving you shots and then telling you it's a, it's okay to leave i was i was impressed like they figured out how to do it see i got my second dose just I think four or five days ago. Yep. And man, oh man, I had Moderna and I was in bad shape. Oh no. Yeah. I, (laughs) I had, uh, two of my closest friends. I went, we all sort of like somehow managed to get an appointment like a month ago for the first dose. We drove all the way down to Parker to get it. And then we automatically got our second dose there. So we all went down together and they were at their house. I was at my house texting them in the morning, like, how do you feel? Like, yeah, we kind of feel pretty bad. And hmm. just throughout the day, the text messages were just getting darker and darker and darker. <laughs> just like, it's getting so much worse. Like I've never, it felt like just a combination of multiple flu illnesses. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like my skin hurt. I oh, couldn't, man. I'd never experienced that sort of discomfort before. Um, but I kept telling myself like, this is in the name of safety and yeah. <laughs> it's going to be just fine tomorrow. And then I felt amazing the next day. I was like riding my bike and hanging out <laughs> i would you know we were i was secretly wishing that it hit us pretty hard um because what i had read and heard is that that's a sign that it's working right that your body's doing the right thing and i was a little concerned when my body didn't react to it i was like oh did i did this not work or yeah something? they just gave me like water or juice right. or something what happened here <laughs> <laughs> so uh you've described yourself as a sometimes creative person what does that mean <laughs> why do you why do you say sometimes so much of so much of my profession now is actually in a, in the past too um, was just kind of rote and procedural. You know, I mean, when it comes down to it, building bikes is is pretty simple. You stick a couple triangles together and make sure that things fit, and it's really not that complicated. But there are opportunities in there for um, being at least creative with your problem solving, but also creative with, with your design and, and paying attention to all the little details that, that go into making a custom bike. But I've, I've found as, you know, bikes have been a part of my life forever and they were always just something I did for fun. And I had kind of other creative outlets. Um, but now that, now that bikes are, uh, filling so much of my time um i've had to kind of look elsewhere for some additional like relief from the rote procedural stuff that makes up so much of the bike building so you know i've been trying to get out for nature walks and just play around with the camera and take pictures and and just kind of enjoy freeing up the 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 other side of my brain from from the kind of analytical you know math and building part of it to to being a little more free with with my thinking and, and enjoying the stuff around me and not so much, uh, yeah, just the building aspect of it. I guess that's what I mean. I, I kind of need that balance. I, I, uh, I've always been like, you know, I went to engineering school, so, um, my background is very analytical and 
math and science has always been a big fixture in my life in my engineering work and programming work and all that kind of stuff. And I always need to have some kind of a, a way to get away from that, whether it's, you know, the photography thing, or even when I was building websites, it was the, it was the graphic design side of things contrasted with the programming side of things. I've always had it and I've always sought it. It's just, I haven't exactly figured out how to make it part of what I do on a daily basis necessarily. Like I said, there's some creative aspects to the bike building thing, but it's, it's mostly I have to go outside of that to look for, for something. Your background being in more of like an analytical science perspective, walk me through where you started and that path to that brought you to where you are now. I always knew I wanted to go into engineering since like middle school. I followed an engineering career or uh, education, got a mechanical engineering degree, kind of got sucked up in the first dot-com thing and ended up doing a lot of programming instead of mechanical engineering. Um, but bikes were always a part of that part of my life. When we moved out here, it was just like all bikes all the time. I started building just as a hobby. This is in the like early 2000s, making steel frames. I just, you know, like a dozen of them or so over, over almost a decade, just for fun, just, you know, to have a bike for myself or my wife and some friends just to kind of, kind of satisfy a, an itch to make something a little more tangible than, than the programming work that I was doing at the time. I went back to school to get a graduate degree, ended up sticking around way too long, but eventually got um, work out in Washington state and we moved out there for work and it wasn't exactly what we envisioned. Had to make some hard decisions about what we were gonna do with our lives. So we decided to take some time off. We moved into a van for about a year. Uh, my wife went to work on a farm and I kind of had nothing to do except for basically just run and figure out what I was going to do with my life. And then I had the opportunity to go to United Bicycle Institute for a frame building class, which is something I'd always wanted to do. I just never had the opportunity to do it. And, and I took it thinking, oh, this will be something fun to kill some, you know, a couple of weeks while I'm figuring out my life, never really giving it serious thought. Um, even though I had built in the past as a hobby, a couple of months later, I started just thinking, well, you know, what's the harm? A welder is not too expensive and I can always just give this a shot and try it out, um, see if it works. And uh, we decided to move back to Boulder at the end of that year. I took a job at a local builder and I uh, worked there for about a year and then started thinking, okay, I think it's about time. I think I can make this work. That's where Corvid Cycles came from. It was not intentional at all. <laughs> it was one of those things where it just kind of, you make certain decisions, which kind of determine the direction of your life. And then there's certain decisions you don't make or the absence of a decision kind of determines the direction of your life. And I feel like this is one of those things where it's like, I kind of just thought maybe I'd give it a try. And then I kind of fell into something that worked. Yeah. That's where I am today. Talk to me about the name. Where does that come from? Well, I always thought Corvids are cool. Corvids are the family of birds that includes ravens and magpies and crows, really interesting birds, super smart, depending on what you believe. Uh, in terms of um, the etymology of my last name, Corbin. Um, if you trace that back, uh, it's like an old Norman name that, that means raven. So it just seemed like a kind of a natural fit. And I like the idea of the, the symbology, the, the imagery of, you know, birds as representing bikes or vice versa, this kind of like freedom of flight and getting out into wilderness and um, just kind of enjoying where the ride's taking you. I, I think that is a nice um, visual to go along with the 
the brand. So yeah, and certainly for I mean, I think anyone who's ridden a bike and had a fun time can relate to that feeling where it really does a lot in a lot of ways. No matter kind of where you're riding, you can have that that flight feeling for sure. You started going full time building bikes for yourself, working on your own business in 2017. Uh, late. No, it was more like 2018. More like yeah. 2018. Yeah. And so that I mean, you haven't really been in business for a particularly long time. We're sitting here in your garage shop, which is very nicely organized and not, I've been to some other frame builder spaces and this is a, this is a nice one. There's, seems like there's not a lot of chaos going on. It seems very organized. And I'm imagining that from your background, from having sort of that analytical process driven, I can see that in the way that your shop is organized. Do you tr always try to keep a very tidy space? I do. I mean, it turns into a real shit show at yeah, towards the end of a build, you know, and things are just flying around and I'm trying to get stuff done. But, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it is such a small space. I've got to have a spot for everything. Right. And so I do put a lot of thought into how it's organized and I probably could do some, something better, you know, to make it, uh, easier to, to get around in here and, and make stuff, you know, like minimizing steps between processes, that whole lean manufacturing stuff, but it works for me. And I'm, kind of lazy i don't want to change it a whole lot <laughs> <laughs> i think that you know with the idea of sort of being sometimes creative but I, I think an inherent quality of a creative person is constantly thinking like oh i could probably be doing this better yeah and yeah it sounds like you're in that space where you're like i could make this better but it's working okay for me now so i'm going to stick with it for for this for this period of time until one day maybe it just hits you and you're just like, all right, I got to rip the shop apart and change everything. Definitely. Yeah. I'm the type of person too, that can get used to pretty much anything until I can't and the, and I crack and then I've got to change it like all at once wholesale. And, and I've definitely done that once or twice in the, in the shop space to, to reorganize it. But, but yeah, I'm always trying to find a, a better way of doing things because it's, you know, it takes time and the, the more time you spend building, the less time you're, you're out riding. <laughs> Do you ever look back at your your former career or the life that you used to had when you had potentially more security and more understanding of you know what life was going to look like a year from now do you ever look back on that and wish you still had that security or i'm happy with where things are i don't i don't have any real regrets i mean when i when i left my job out in washington you know in and that that was a job that i'd gotten uh is that uh, Pacific Northwest National Lab, and this is after I'd finished my dissertation work. And it takes a long time and a lot of effort to get a PhD, right? Um, so I felt like that was a hard decision to give all of that up. I felt like I was throwing a lot of money and time away when I decided to to leave the job and figure out what was next without really having a plan. And you probably hear this from a lot of people. In retrospect, if, if you're doing something and it's not making you happy, then there's no point in doing it. Even if it provides that security, like you just, you can't do that for very long without just <laughs> having it be soul crushing, you know? So I spent, you know, a couple, couple months kind of regretting and then realized that, no, actually I'm way happier if I can have a little more say over my day to day and, and determine my direction myself instead of having somebody else do that for me. And so I haven't spent a whole lot of time, surprisingly, like worrying about where the next paycheck is coming from, the next build, you know. Maybe I should. I feel like those those sorts of 
that that kind of job security is going to kind of naturally follow from me doing a good job now and, and trying to bust my butt to make people happy. That'll ensure more business and, and a steady stream of, of, you know, builds coming up. So I'm actually pretty content with, with where I am. I don't, I don't really regret that too much. Good. I mean, that's a great spot to be in. Absolutely. And yeah, I think beginnings are often very challenging and it's hard enough to just leave something secure behind because I think a lot of people end up in a space where that fear of failure is crippling over all other things. And I've certainly sat in that chair before and been like, if I try this and it doesn't go well, I don't know what's going to happen. But making that leap and getting over that, you know, three month or six month or one year time period where all of a sudden you're like, I mean, you mentioned in the beginning here that you're like, I don't know where this business is coming from, what's happening. And it, uh, it's certainly, there's a lot to be said for just saying like, Hey, this is something I've put my time and effort into. And if you just focus on that instead of the financials or the really fine tooth stuff that just kind of will f- figure itself out, the, the work will come. Yeah. So it sounds like you struggled with something similar, like when you decided to leave your certainly, full-time. I mean, I, I had freelanced a bunch, like in college, I'd shot like weddings and portraits and stuff just to like, try to offset my education. And, you know, that was, that's a much different thing than, than what I do right now. Um, but I, yeah, it had relative security because I wasn't just working for myself for a long time. And yeah, jumping out of that space, I sort of had like the dream career for a little while. And then my desires changed a little bit and I wanted something a little bit different. And all of a sudden I was back in this space where it felt like I was starting over, but I had all these skills and know-how and like, but none of the connection or none of the community. And, um, yeah, certainly a scary time. And I think I'm on my way out of that right now, but usually when I doubt where I'm headed or why I've made the decision, it's, it's pretty easy for me to look back and check myself and say like, Hey, look, like what else are you going to do? You can pretend like you could do all this other stuff, but there's been one super consistent thing in your life for a super long time and you know how to do it and you know how to do it well. So just practice that and keep going. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like it's ever a mistake for somebody to, to take that leap. Absolutely not. Yeah. You're going to regret it more than anything else. And and maybe, maybe you don't go back to exactly where you were if it doesn't work out, but you, you've learned something really important in the process. Either it's about failing and what you could have done differently, or it's about all the things that did work and what you need to do moving forward. Or or maybe it's, you know, like igniting a, a, a new interest or passion that you didn't even anticipate that just kind of now that you're free of that previous career, you've, you've actually got the headspace to really dig in and, and think about stuff and you maybe you end up pivoting, but it's all, it's all part of it. And it's, it's all in the end, it's all good because you're getting a chance to experience that. Whereas you wouldn't have been able to do that if you didn't take the leap. Right. Yeah. And we live in such an immediate culture where I don't think at least I was never really taught to give something time and space to settle and to take a step back and look at it a slightly different perspective or even to reach out to people outside of the same space that you're in and say, Hey, like, what do you think about this? And that's, you know, just hearing somebody else. A lot of times if I'm feeling doubt, 
I just talked to somebody else for a little bit, just a switch flips. And I'm like, oh, everything's fine. This is actually, it's actually great. (laughs) Now that I've thought about it from just a slightly different perspective, everything's like a little bit better and it's not as bad as I had worked it up to be in my head. I think that's important that you find other, I mean, like you're doing with the podcast, you find other people that are kind of in that similar space where they're, they're kind of going away from that traditional career path, going out on their own. And it's important that you have other people around you that are doing something similar because you can certainly learn a lot from them. And if nothing else, you can commiserate, right? When things don't go so well. Absolutely. I've got a bunch of builder friends and and we get together and, you know, have coffee and talk about these issues and, you know, what it's like to run your own business and the problems that come along with that. I'm doing some uh, metal work for a ceramic artist and up in North Boulder. And, you know, we've had similar conversations about that, just what it takes to go out on your own and and especially in a creative space, it's, I think it's it's really difficult um, to kind of, it's a little less tangible at least than, than say just making bike frames. And then my wife is going through something very similar herself. You know, she was, she's been an engineer from, for most of her per- professional career too and decided to, to change jobs. And now she's looking at going off on her own and, and doing a custom outdoor bags, gear, stuff like that. You know, some to complement my bikes, but also just for other endeavors outdoors, you know, running and, and bike and backpacking and stuff like that. So, you know, these are conversations that come up all the time. If you're, (laughs) if you're thinking about jumping ship and making your, making your own life. Jumping ship is a, is a nice analogy. I feel like it's, you're not as far from land as you think you are. I think in a lot of those circumstances, you know, on the ship, it's going in a certain direction. You may not be wanting to. (laughs) Yeah. Throughout your career and where you are now, have you experienced from either side, any sort of mentorship? Definitely. You know, the, in in previous careers, there were, there were, there were always people that were around that you kind of looked up to. And, and this is, I'm kind of referring back to like the programming days where maybe they even had a formal mentorship thing in place to get you kind of onboarded to the company. And, in the bike in the bike building world, you know that it's been learning from from John at, at Dean Cycles, Dean Titanium. Um, I learned a lot from him, and super grateful for him sharing all of that knowledge before I <laughs> went off on my own. And I guess you know the other the other place where that's come from is is just this is this is going to sound strange, but and I'm going all the way back to high school with this one, uh, which is not career oriented at all. But in high school, I grew up in high I grew up in Florida, so high school was you know, near the beach and kind of pancake flat terrain and all that kind of stuff. And I was into outdoor stuff, mountain biking and new Dean came to our high school, built a climbing wall. And I got totally into that. Ended up doing a bunch of trips with outdoor club that he established there. And I think more than anybody, uh, he was probably a mentor to me in, in, in helping me kind of better understand that, that you're just going to have to figure it out. <laughs> it was a l- really early lesson for me. Just, you know, school is, school is fairly easy. So I didn't have difficulties there. But when I was put on a rock face trying to figure out how to get up it and started complaining, he just told me to shut up and keep climbing. And that sounds harsh, but in terms of a life, life lesson, in terms of like somebody mentoring you into being a, a, a responsible <laughs> adult, I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given. It's just shut up and figure it out. Stop complaining, you know? Oh, that's weird. I didn't think that was going to come up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually going to ask you what's the best piece of advice you'd ever been given, but yeah. you just... Done. You found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the other best piece of advice is 
uh, don't build what you don't want to sell. And this was this would bike advice given to me. If you don't if you don't want to build if you don't want to sell something like if there's a certain style of bike you don't want to sell, don't build a show bike because <laughs> because <laughs> you'll end up making a lot of them and you might not want to. <laughs> Seems like very good advice. Yeah, <laughs> bikes have been a part of your life for your most of your life. You started getting into bikes back when you were younger. What is something that's kept you personally connected with? with bikes that has then, you know, brought you all the way out here to Colorado. Like what keeps you passionate about that side of things? There's just something about, you know, I kind of mentioned the whole freedom and flight thing in relation to my brand. There's, there's just something about bikes that, that give me that, that feeling. And I always come back to that. It is a sense of freedom and it's super fun to go fast on twisty single track, of course, but it's, it's just, you know, being able to get out human powered, cover big distances, see the world around you and in, in a different way. It's just, that's what keeps me coming back. And, and but I, I say that also recognizing we'll probably get into this, but my relationship with bikes has changed considerably over the last couple of years as it's turned from something I did for fun. And, you know, I competed at an amateur level and that was fun too, but it's kind of taken on a, a new dimension for me. I'll never not love bikes, but there's definitely some days where I look at my bike and I'm like, I do not want to be anywhere near a bicycle right now. Probably because I'm, you know, frustrated with a build or something like that, but I can't, I, I can't walk away. Like <laughs> it's just such a big part of our lives. When we moved out here, we were climbing a lot before we moved out rock climbing. And then we just started riding like crazy when we got out to Colorado and it's just been, I guess it's, you know, it's one of those things too, where it's, it's situational. You're kind of used to doing something in a certain place in the world. And so maybe that's part of the, the pull for me too, is just my, my association of Colorado is with bikes. And if I'm here, I'm, <laughs> I'm also going to be on them or something like that. Something that you've been passionate about, something that you love to do your entire life. When that becomes also a huge source of stress in your life, what do you do? I wish I knew. <laughs> I think this is the this is the struggle for everybody who decides to do this, right? It's something you love doing is kind of like a hobby or or just recreation becomes your source of income and has huge sources of frustration sometimes. I think you've got to learn to compartmentalize. You've got to yeah, okay, so I've got to I'm going to go out and ride my bike for exercise today and then I've got a vacation coming up where I'm going to be bikepacking for a week and and that's one aspect of your life, but you've also you've got to separate that mentally from I need to order all these parts. I've got to get this frame design. I can't get this stuff. Um, it's going to be delayed. I need to pay bills, whatever. There's obviously a connection between those things, but but you got to separate them out so that it doesn't turn your passion into something that you hate doing. And having some other activities outside of bikes too, I think helps just kind of distract you a little bit or kind of give you a different perspective on on things. But yeah, it's, it's tough. I, don't, I mean, I know you're professionally photographer videographer but you also enjoy getting out and, and shooting so how, how do you how do you balance those things i mean well for me i find the balance by riding my bike <laughs> <laughs> yeah see that used to be my out but it's not anymore <laughs> i have to find something else now yeah but for the longest time before i before i started riding bikes i mean it was you know photography was just it was the only way that i felt like i had to really process my life hmm. and when I found riding bikes, it certainly struck a bit more of a balance between those two things where, 
you know, like you were saying, there are some days where maybe you look at a bike and you're like, I don't want to be anywhere near it. I had, you know, same experience with a camera, even though it was also looking back at me saying, yeah, but I can help, you know, it's, mm. it's this, it's a, it's a delicate balance there for sure. But I've found, I took a, a long time away from making my own work with photography and I think that break was, was necessary. I remember I had a professor in college who she was a, a commercial photographer and she was telling us a story about, she took seven years off from making photographs and it just didn't make any sense to me. I was in college. I was just like, I'm going to be a photographer. I'm doing this thing. And this is sick. Like, but I had this professor who was like, yeah, I took seven <laughs> years off. And I was like, how can I be learning from this person who like abandoned their craft and right. like, you know, at a very like young not so emotionally astute connection to that. I just like jumped to the negative side of it. But now I totally get it. Having taken a break away from, from some sides of photography, it's you really get some space sometimes when you take a break and then it allows you to come back in with new fresh eyes. And that's what I'm finding now is that the, the work that I'm doing just for myself that maybe nobody ever even sees really brings me a lot of drive and movement to just keep pushing on the professional side or the public facing side of things, whether you're a creative person or not making something that isn't for anybody else, no matter what it is, if you like making bread or if you like making photography or doing paper mache or whatever it could be, if you're just making something quietly for yourself, it fulfills so many other corners of your life that you didn't know it would help. And that's, yeah, that's for me, that's sort of always kind of looking for little extra things, but yeah, it's mostly bikes, mostly personal project stuff, but yeah, I dig into all kinds of other little things here and there. And another thing that I wanted to talk with you a little bit about too, is that with, you know, there's a really easy line to draw for you with being an engineer and building bikes, but I've always, always found, you know, I've had an odd set of jobs, you know, I've worked in restaurants. I've, I worked as a DJ. I worked in an office. I've done like quite a few different things. And it's so odd how I find experiences that I've had in all my previous jobs, good, bad, whatever, somehow have all translated into what I do now. What are some things that you maybe have surprised you now that you're doing this, that from your previous jobs, careers, even, you know, as far back as you ever worked, what's transferred that maybe surprised you? I do feel like all of your experiences are good experiences and, you know, they, they definitely help get you where you are and, and teach you something along the way. I had formal CAD training and, and all that stuff in school. So that's kind of a no brainer for me now. It's just an easy thing for me to do that carries into designing bikes. I had had some previous exposure to welding that, that I was obviously carried over. So I was building websites for um, financial companies for, for a while when we first moved out to Colorado. And I feel like I got some appreciation at least for business processes um, through that work, just tangentially. It, it wasn't any part of my work, but I learned a lot about money and financing and businesses and running a business and all that kind of stuff. So all that, all that's certainly helped. And of course, you know, 30 years of riding bikes <laughs> as a hobby certainly helps when you're, when you're trying to figure out how to make one that that's fun and capable and satisfies a need for somebody. I wish I had something a little more like, you know, deeper <laughs> to, to say that's like been a you know, life lesson or something in all those careers that have helped me with this, with this business. But I'll go back to what, what the Dean of my high school says, just figure it out, you know, just got to be stubborn sometimes. And yeah, maybe that's it. That's the thing. Like 
I, I put myself through grad school, got, um, got a master's and, and then stuck around for a PhD. And a PhD is all about just suffering and being stubborn and just getting stuff done no matter what it takes. I think that's probably the most valuable thing I've learned from, you know, in, in other careers, if you can call academia a career, just that relentlessness that you have to have to, to make it, make it work for yourself. Things don't come free or easy. You got to make it happen for yourself. You write on your website, titanium bikes are for everyone. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about why that statement exists and what your aspirations are behind that statement. It's an important aspect of my business. It's a long-term goal of mine. Heading into college, I knew I was going into engineering. I was super excited about bikes, but wanted to focus on biomechanical engineering, which is prosthetics and um, implant, like uh, hip implants and stuff like that. Long story short, I got, you know, distracted in, in school and ended up kind of going a different direction. But the idea of, you know, using engineering to help people that have different abilities um, would be a really satisfying and, and worthwhile thing to do with an engineering career. Fast forward <laughs> 20 some odd years. And um, when I decided I was going to make bikes a thing in, in my, my career, I wanted to allow that possibility and to make that a long-term objective of mine to, to make bikes that people of differing abilities, sizes and shapes, bikes for people who don't necessarily fit the common mold. And so that was maybe an aspirational statement more than it has been realized so far. But I do want to be able to get more people on bikes that, that are not otherwise able to be on bikes. And I realized that that has, there's all sorts of other meanings to that. You could probably look at my bikes and say, okay, he's building these custom titanium bikes and they cost six to 12 grand. How is that bikes for everybody? Cause not everybody can afford something like that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how, how maybe I adapt or what I can do with my business to, to allow that bikes for everybody who doesn't necessarily have the disposable income to be able to enjoy bikes. How, how do I make that part of what I'm doing, you know, cycling is, is really just a bunch of middle-aged white dudes. How do I get people that are not middle-aged white dudes on my bike? You know, how do I, how do I open up bikes to, uh, other communities that are, that are not well represented in cycling? This is probably one of those things I'm going to be working on as long as I'm ever building bikes is trying to figure out how, what are the best ways to do that? Um, cause it has a lot of relevance right now in terms of what's going on in, in our country and you know, all the, all the events of last summer and the continue into this year, it's just bikes aren't accessible to everybody. A lot of things aren't accessible to everybody. And it's, if I could do something about that, that'd be, that'd be great. In the last year, you've taken it upon yourself to publicly announce just your, your willingness and your, your desire to support communities that aren't the middle-aged white dude on a bicycle. Tell me a little bit more about the, the giving that you've been doing. I did, I did donate to me, a, a sizable chunk of, of my, uh, my profits last year to various causes to support, uh, racial equity and diversity. Some of it was bike specific. Some of it was not, um, some of it went to support organizations that are helping people get prosthetics, uh, in third world countries. Some of it was local. Some of it was, you know, national, international. I think the roots of that are in that summer we spent after we left our jobs and lived in the van. My wife went to work on a a small draft horse-powered organic farm out in Washington State. Huh. I'm getting kind of emotional here. We lived with a, a family. I lived there on and off. They allowed me to 
to hang out and, and work, uh, you know, a day or two a week and, and, <laughs> and live with my wife while she was doing the real work. But, um, the family we lived with, um, is exemplary in, in terms of their sharing and, and giving. And, and I can tell you firsthand that running a small organic farm has got to be one of the hardest freaking things you can imagine. Like there's so much time and effort that goes into that. And, and for not much, you know, it's farming food is a, even, even organic food is, is a commodity now. And anyway, all that, all that's to say is you work really hard for, for not a ton, but what I learned from them, observing them was just how willing they were to give and share and, and stand up for principles that they really, really believed in had a huge impression on me. You know, Memorial Day last year, we were out on the Western Slope down at Phil's World riding bikes and started hearing stuff about George Floyd. And that hit me super, super hard. And I spent a good couple of weeks like trying to figure out like, what is wrong with us? You know, what is wrong with this world? And why are we, why are we doing this? And, and, and just, I think... I was probably happily ignorant to the the racism that still exists in our country. And I, I grew up in the South. It was pretty obvious in places in the South. You know, you could still see it. Of course, that was like 20, 30 years ago, too. So some of it was overt. Some of it was very, you know, passive-aggressive, subtle racism. And moved out to Colorado, and, you know, it's super white bread out here, but felt like I'd kind of escaped that. Um. And as a result, was still ignorant to what is going on in this world. So I think it was kind of like that 20 years of avoiding really thinking about it. that kind of hit me all at once. And uh, it was at that moment that I, I figured I'd, I've, I've got a business. I've got a platform. I have a, a modest following on Instagram. Maybe I can say something that, that makes a difference. And maybe I can do something that makes a difference, even if it's really small. And that was kind of the, the origin of I want to support organizations that are doing good work. I obviously can't go out and change the world by myself, but I can, I can support organizations who are doing that work. And so I made a, I made a commitment to, to donate a, a portion of, of my income to supporting those organizations and make that an ongoing thing so that it, it, it's not just a fashionable reaction to, to one event, but something that I maintain. And I think that's important. You know, you, I saw a lot of, one of the things that really bothered me following in the weeks from, or a month or so following, there, there were a lot of support for Black Lives Matter and, and racial justice by companies in the bike world and, and outside the bike world. Um, there was a lot of support that those companies showed, and they were getting ripped apart by by people saying, you know, you're a business. You don't, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, this is, go ahead and just, just make your bike parts or make your jeans or, or whatever it is that you do. Um, and I, I think that's absolutely wrong. You know, we, unfortunately corporations are huge influences in our lives and they have a lot of power outsized, but that means they can do some good with it. And I think it's important that companies stand up for what they believe in. And I, like, if you're buying a bike from me, you're buying a bike from a, a person and you're buying it because for a lot of reasons, but you're also buying it because of that person and what, what they believe in and what they stand for. And I think that's, we've all got to, we've got to do that. And we've also got to support the companies that are willing to stand up and say, Hey, this is, this is not right. This things we've got to change. How do we build a community, no matter where you are, where you come from, 
what your interest is? How do you take whatever that is and build an inclusive community? I think it requires us all to be really vulnerable and humble and honest, <laughs> honest about our, our faults, our shortcomings or, you know, expressing that. And then giving, giving each other a, a place where we can feel comfortable doing that. So that, that's where, you know, maybe it's about bikes, maybe it's about photography, maybe it's about endurance sports, your community. That community aspect of it is, is so much more than just that activity, right? It's, it's that feeling like this is a safe place for me. Perhaps we all could learn something by making more space to be more vulnerable, to be honest about our shortcomings, and to use that as a platform to understand each other a bit more. Thank you, Chad, for opening up your shop to me and for sitting down to have this conversation. Check out Chad's work at corvidcycles.com. Here for Now is solely supported by its listeners. If you feel inclined to contribute to this podcast, head over to middlewell.com backslash here for now and look for that donation button. Check back for new episodes of Here for Now every other Monday. Until next time, happy trails.